Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today, UC Berkeley student Anna Sterla interviews Dr. Hatem Bazian, co-founder of Zaytuna College, the first accredited Muslim college in the United States, where he teaches Islamic law and theology. He is also senior lecturer in Near Eastern Studies and Ethnic Studies here at UC Berkeley. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hatem Bazian. We're here today to talk about Zaytuna College, which is here in Berkeley, uh, the first accredited Muslim college in the United States. What was the impetus for starting the college? Thank you for having me first uh, to the show. The impetus for the college came as a result of the increasing uh, number of uh, Muslim communities, uh, both here in the Bay Area and across the country and the need to address uh, the multifaceted challenges that are meeting the communities from uh, the growing number of centers that require uh, individuals who are trained both in the Islamic tradition but also aware of the various uh, issues that come out of the uh, American context and living within such a rabid, fast-paced society. Uh, so the impetus for it is uh, comes out from really addressing this vast need. Second aspect is that the ability of religious leaders and leaders to come from abroad uh, was increasingly uh, very challenging in terms of attempt to meet the needs. Uh, and I think this is also a normative process that other religious communities historically have uh, been through. The Catholics uh, used to get their uh, ministers and priests from uh, Ireland or from Italy. And as the patterns of immigration, settlements, and second generation, third generation, uh, the need was outstripping the ability to provide and bring individuals from uh, abroad, as well as the fact that individuals were born in this country required a person who could come in with an understanding of what are the particular needs that might not be transferable from other countries, whether it's Italy or um, Ireland at the time. And for the Muslim community, likewise, uh, that was something that they were facing. And it started out as a seminary originally and then became a Muslim college, a liberal arts college. What's the mix there? Why was that move important? Initially, we were thinking about a seminary in order to train individuals in uh, a seminary type of a setting with a specifically religious uh, focus exclusively. But as we looked at where the community is at, uh, the type of training that is needed to have individuals finish a seminary degree, which is a graduate degree, we felt that the prerequisites almost are four to five years in the making, and our uh, pipeline of individuals who might come into a very narrowly structured uh, seminary program would be a challenge, considering where we are at in terms of the United States. So we had to step back and think of a, a college with a liberal arts degree 
And then from that, we hope that students who graduate will rotate a number of fields. And one of the fields that they might go into it will be a seminary type, whether to go to GTU, Hartford Seminary, or some of the other seminaries around the country. And also in the hope for us in the future to have a, a master PhD program where students who want to be trained uh, in a seminary setting can do so under the umbrella of the GTU Graduate Theological Union. So we had to step back in order for us to move forward and stepping back by setting up uh, this uh, liberal arts degree. We need students who have a stronghold on the Arabic language. So our students now have to finish five years of Arabic. So once they go into a seminary or a graduate degree, they already have the prerequisites and they don't have to start from scratch. So that's the uh, shift in the strategy, not in the shift in what we are hoping to accomplish with a a subset of the graduates. And it's not open to just Muslims. It's open to everyone. Anyone who's interested in having a liberal arts degree is welcome. And hopefully when we get to the master PhD track, likewise, anyone who wants to have a quality education is welcome. I think we're at 55% women, 45% men. We're having some interest from Christian colleges Mm -hmm. that are interested in having a way to dialogue, but also as a way to have education where they could send their students in there. So I think this will come. We had actually a uh, conference between our students and their students. So I think our relationship with GTU has been great. All of the Mm -hmm. nine different denominations at GTU have embraced us. Now, the two buildings that we own were both GTU-owned buildings that they sold to us. PSR sold us the uh, Lacant building, which is at the corner, and then the um, Franciscan School of Theology uh, corner uh, uh, building, that yellow corner building in Euclid, they b- did not put it on the market. They actually ap- approached us and said, we want to sell you the building. you got to love Franciscans. Yeah, yeah. So, so they sold us the building, they didn't put it on, and then when, they, when we signed the um, contract, they had a, a dinner for us, and one of their uh, priests gave a lecture on Islam. And in the wall, they had a photograph of uh, Malik al-Adil of Egypt and St. Francis uh, embracing. Because the assumption is that St. Francis was one of the key figures that ended the Crusades. Because he finished, he went and visited Malik al-Adil in Egypt at the time and then came back to the Pope and asked the Pope to provide a way for people to uh, repent without having to go on a crusade. And that's what's the uh, Franciscan sect developed out of St. Francis' visit to Egypt and his encounter with the man. So they had that post or that picture on the wall, and they gave it as a gift to us as well. I didn't know that. St. Francis is my favorite saint. He's kind of like... Within the Catholic tradition, he is accredited of shifting because without the possibility of having to go to some other place to to cleanse yourself and repent, then people were still being sent to the Crusades. So St. Francis, upon returning from Egypt, he actually asked for that uh, to be the way, and the Pope gave him that. Um, One thing that I thought was interesting on the website is it mentioned it had a list of perennial faculty, sort Mm -hmm. of citing, you know, a long list of Muslim thinkers and and intellectuals. What's the purpose of sort of connecting to that past? What do you sort of hope to convey to the students of today living in Berkeley and the Bay Area? In a sense, liberal education or liberal arts degree is rooted in the great books of the past. And therefore, even though that in our today fast-paced culture, it seems that you are the center of the world, Uh, So we're trying to say that, yes, you're the center of the world in one dimension, but everything that you think, it's in you. 
uh, has a long durée to it, uh, all the way back from the Chinese works to Indian works to the Greek to the Romans to the Muslim civilization and so on. So it is rooted in linking back to the great traditions and great intellectual contribution. And then to see where these contributions are at by thinking of the perennial faculty or perennial contribution, and then where you could add your own distinctive aspect upon or building upon what was done in the past. And I think it's similar to the Catholic tradition. If you, say, look at St. Mary's College or uh, uh, St. John's and so on, the great books tradition is rooted in there. So in a similar way, we want to convey that uh, there is a tradition within the Islamic pedagogical approach to think of these great books and how to link the students to that tradition. Standing on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. Yeah. I noticed that the, right now the college is around 50 to 60 students. We have about 60 students about and 60 we're admitting students. another 25 students for this coming uh, fall. So it's sort of a tight-knit community. What role does the larger Muslim, non-Muslim community play at the college? When we were thinking about where to locate the college, there were a number of possibilities. We had uh, literally offers to go some other places around the country where the land would be almost free if uh, actually they'll pay you to take it. Uh, we had a location where they had a full college set up with a gym, a swimming pool, housing that was for sale from A to Z, literally you pick up the key and you have a college ready made. Uh, but, uh, you know, I assure you that it was not one of those Trump's colleges uh, <laughs> that was there. What we were thinking is that to create a college, you need a hospitable environment. And in looking at many of us, the three founders were here in the Bay Area, Imam Zaid, Sheikh Hamza, myself, that if you want to create a college from scratch, you have two major institutions in the Bay Area, Berkeley and Stanford. And therefore, by putting the college next to a major university, you get the synergy that is there as a result of the intellectual uh, environment that is there. It also, though, is an existing Muslim student population that is at the surrounding university in Berkeley. I think approximately 800 Muslim students, give or take, are here. And then you also have a large Muslim population in the Bay Area. The study that I did on the Bay Area Muslim community is about 250,000 with some 90 centers in the region. So it is really having a major intellectual hub in the Bay Area that is hospitable, that is embracing of diversity and inclusiveness, and that made the choice of the Bay Area uh, a foregone conclusion to having the college located in here. Uh, the challenge, once again, is uh, we have to compete with Twitter, Facebook, and Google in terms of prices of real estate and being able to really have the buildings that are needed. Uh, one is to acquire building, but also how to expand in the distant future. The major challenge is the cost effectiveness is very high, but once again, location, 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 and that was one of the major factors. And what's the average Zaytuna student, if there is one? Are they f typically from the Bay Area or? We're getting students from nationally. I, I think uh, depends different class uh, enrollment differ. But in general, we get students from across the country, from Florida, from Michigan, from New York, uh, from New Jersey, Ohio. California, we do have a segment of it. So it's a, really a cross-section of the Muslim community in the United States. And what do you hope that they 
once they graduate, that they sort of put out into the world? What sort of skills do you hope they, that you've given them? Our mission really speaks about graduating morally committed leaders that are grounded in Islamic tradition and conversant in the modern contemporary currents uh, in our society. So what we want is for them to lead in whichever place, whichever career track that uh, they choose. We don't train students for a career. We tra- our education is a commitment to lifelong learning and for them to commit themselves to education as a value in itself, that that is the end. Education is an end by itself and not to think of education in a utilitarian function. So we definitely, uh, while we want them to be engaged in society in whichever field and profession, uh, that is not the end of the degree, but rather it should be the beginning of their contribution in society and want them to also act morally and ethically in the society. Uh, So that's what we want them to be, that they are reflective of the grounding that we're giving them in the institution. I think that idea of the morally committed leader is very interesting. I know that you you founded the Islamophobia Research and Documentation Project here at Berkeley, as well as the Islamophobia Studies Journal, as well as you've also contributed a number of opinion columns, you know, about Trump and and other issues surrounding Islamophobia. With this rise of Islamophobic rhetoric, particularly on the campaign trail, what sort of shifts, if any, have happened at the college to sort of face these new crises? Well, I don't think there is a shift in the college because I think our uh, curriculum and the education we offer, uh, it will have to stand the test of time, whether it's Trump or any other person that wants to use racism, discrimination, otherization, uh, want to build uh, walls on the ground as well as intellectual walls, our degree will stand the test of time. Now, we are aware that we are in a highly tense period where uh, a particular segment of the American society, in particular white working class, are being stoked into racism, into discrimination, into pointing their finger at another that uh, is the source of their uh, loss of economic opportunity, that their standard of living has declined, that their outsourcing of their jobs uh, have been undertaken earnestly from the 70s, 80s and ongoing. So instead of confronting the real issues and who is responsible, who was on the driver's seat, uh, the blame has been stoked strategically. So as a wedge issue, to blame, on the one hand, Latinos, that they're the ones that are undermining our economic uh, opportunities, looking at the Muslim community and saying that uh, this war on terrorism is basically not making us strong, looking at Black Lives Matters and the African-American community, in essence, by blaming them in really a racist undertone uh, by speaking that they're not carrying their weight, that uh, they're depending on social welfare, All these are buzzwords that are using cultural nuances to push a racist discourse and to try to imagine America of the past uh, that is not tenable and trying to maintain a particular cluster of communities in the U.S. in a power at a time where the grounds have shifted tremendously. So we are aware of those, and the challenge for us is on the one hand, to document the period we are in, in terms of Islamophobia and what is taking place, but also how to develop what I consider to be the new civil and human rights movement in this country that will reclaim the high ground 
and at the same time to undo the stalking of the white middle class and to actually develop a coalition that will address the largest segment and to point out what are the reasons of the challenges that we are having. What are the challenges of outsourcing? What are the challenges of the 1% that is basically running all the way to the bank many times over and then getting being rescued by the collective taxpayers. So that's the, I would say, if there's a singular challenge, that is the challenge is how to create a new society uh, based on a board that will hold everyone uh, without anybody trying to book uh, holes on the bottom of the hole for the, for the ship to sink. And that's how we see the circumstances and where Zaytuna is positioned. And how have your students reacted? Well, they're engaged. Uh, They're engaged both in terms of part of our program requires that the students have to undertake uh, community service hours. And part of community service hours have to be in how they give back and contribute. And on the one hand, we have an alternative spring break. So, uh, for example, a number of students went to uh, Ferguson to volunteer, uh, to work with Habitat for Humanity. Another group in the alternative spring break went to Utah and uh, went uh, with the National Forest Service to plant tree and work on the environment. So they're engaged in ways where they could be making the difference as they are developing their or sharpening their intellectual skills. So in essence, they are proactively engaged in order to make a difference and build the bridges that are needed for an imagining of a different America that is inclusive, that is uh, embracing, that also looks for the best interests of those who have left behind and have fallen through the cracks. And I think that's what we want our students to uh, undertake. And I saw that recently, last March, Zaytuna received the first accredited Muslim college in the U.S. So what does that mean for the college? Institutions of higher learning have an accreditation process. And uh, from the first day we started this project, we wanted the institution to be accredited, in essence to be admitted and invited to the diverse academic table of higher education and for a Muslim college to receive accreditation and to sit at the table and offer our own ideas in conversation and in collaboration with other institutions of higher learning. And that process is a, we took it as a challenge for us and also an as opportunity because part of accreditation, you do a self-study. You look at your curriculum, you look at your institutions, you look at your financial capacity, reporting, and there's about 37 different criteria that you have to fulfill. And we took it seriously that this is an opportunity for us to assess where are we at. And uh, we were engaged with the WAS, the Western Association for Senior Schools and Colleges, the same institution that accredits UC Berkeley. So we were the fastest institution to begin the accreditation process and achieve accreditation uh, by the team, the visiting team. In one visit, we were able to get accreditation. Uh, Even UC Berkeley had to go many times over, and some other colleges, we were able to achieve it. And uh, both our curriculum, our uh, institutional capacity, our finances are very sound. One question that the accreditation committee asked us time and time again, because many institutions want to get accreditation, so they would uh, be able to apply for federal financial aid for students. Now, we have made a commitment institutionally that no students will graduate with debt. So we are committed to students graduating debt-free. And as founders, we go out 
and actually appeal to the Muslim community who had part of their financial well-being is to give a charitable uh, contribution, the term zakat. So we have been able to develop a zakat fund that provides needy students and any students that have a challenge financially to provide them the resources. So we actually, when they ask us, are you looking to get federal financial aid? I said, that's really, we are we don't want to apply for fi- uh, federal financial aid. We want our students to graduate debt-free. We don't believe that you have to be in debt from the cradle to the grave. And I think that is something that we have to offer both institutionally but also give it as an example of how education can be an avenue for individuals and society to liberate itself from the bondage of financial burden. And I think increasingly our education has become a financial burden where an average undergrad graduates with $97,000 in debt. And if you go to a master PhD, it could go into the hundreds of thousands. And uh, God forbid you go to the medical school or if you want to train as a lawyer, uh, you actually comes up with maybe three hundred dollars to $400,000 in debt if you go to the top schools, which essentially incentivize those individuals who come out of these institutions to immediately try to stick it to anyone financially, and as such, you lose the bonds of the society at the foundational level. So that's something that we are committed to it, and I think the accreditation team was uh, taken back because if not every private institution depends heavily on federal financial aid, and therefore what you have is a private institution that is uh, loading the students with debt as a way to run the institution. I think ethically and morally that is a wrong approach to higher education in general. And right now, is Zaytuna the only Muslim college in the U.S., or has it sort of inspired at least ideas for other ones? Well, we're the only accredited institution. There is mm-hmm. a number of projects that we're hoping that they are uh, on their road to accreditation. There is the American Islamic College in Chicago. They've been longer in, in place, but they went dormant. And they've been back in attempting to get their accreditation process. They have filed. We already sent a letter of support to their accreditation. There is a couple of other institutions in the early formative stage. Our expectation as the community increases, and the numbers, once again, depending on which uh, study you look at, from 2.5 to 3 million to about 6 or 7 million, you take your number as uh, in terms of what statistical model you use. As the community increases, uh, the needs for such institution will rise, and I think we will see in the next few years a number of institutions joining Zaytuna, and that will be very positive for us as well as the institutions that are coming to provide the services for the community. Creating perhaps more of a network there. Oh, absolutely. We're still, we are right yeah. now in discussing uh, as a consortium among uh, Muslim institutions that are either applying or attempting to get into an accreditation. And I compare it once again. I think we're inspired by the Catholic tradition. At a time where the Catholics were in this country that they began to invest in higher education, they were less than 1.5% of the population. They were facing tremendous racism. If you notice some of the literature around building Catholic churches and Catholic institutions, if you just take the same texts that were written on Catholics and remove the Catholic Church and the Pope and you just insert Islam and Muslim, you don't have to change much of the literature. And at the time, they were 1.5%, and they did, I would say, a deliberate, 
deliberate strategic initiative in investing in higher education as a way to address their needs. And now you look around the country, the Catholic institutions are the premier institutions uh, in the country, as well as if you look at their uh, K through 12 schools, some of the best schools in this country are uh, run by the Catholics. So in this sense, uh, religious communities uh, making a path and constructing a way for them both to address their own particular needs, but also contributing to shaping society in general is the long-standing tradition within the American society, but also across across the world. So do you also sort of take that as inspiration for future plans for Zaytuna? What's next for the college? Once again, the challenge of keeping the college running is the biggest challenge right now. Uh, we're 24-7 fundraising, uh, both to run for operation, but also to provide all the needs of the students. There's, you know, we work on a five-year plan, acquisition of some housing for students, uh, also possibly housing for faculty as the need to increase our faculty. Uh, One of the biggest challenges, once again, in the Bay Area, it's the cost of housing that is making it prohibitive for us to be able to attract the faculty talent with the cost basis that we have. So that would be another part of our project. And then looking down the line is to begin the project for uh, having the master PhD program, and we're already in initial conversation with GTU to join as a member school within the GTU. So that's already in the initial stage of conversation. We will be uh, joining, having a master of divinity in Islamic studies and possibly a PhD track a few years after that, joining them in all of the collaborative projects that they have, joining the library. So all those are in the drawing boards for the next five years in terms of what are the steps that are needed. And right now you offer a BA in Islamic law and theology with an optional honors program. It's a BA in liberal arts Mm -hmm. with a focus on Islamic law and theology. And uh, there's an honor program where students have to take a particular set of additional courses. We also have actually an endowment to uh, provide, in particular, women who want to take a STEM track, uh, who want to go to medicine and engineering, we actually have an endowment where they could actually take courses here at Berkeley or City College to augment uh, the BA degree that we're offering. So if they want to apply to an engineering or a uh, medical or MCB and so on, they're able to do that. So that's already on the books, and we're able to offer that for students who are coming in. So in addition to the Graduate Theological Union, GTU, what are other sort of organizations that you're partnering with to sort of strengthen the college? Well, we want definitely to have a strong relations with UC Berkeley. So that's something that we look forward to at GTU, uh, San Francisco State University, Santa Clara University. Uh, We're working also with UCSF for the chaplaincy program. So some of our students want to be chaplains in the hospitals. So they have a certification program and we're making the link where students Students can actually, uh, they need to do about 80 hours of uh, supervised chaplaincy training in the hospital. So that is open for them uh, in that way. We have a relationship uh, with Hartford Seminary. So students who want to finish from here can go to Hartford Seminary. Uh, we have a number of memorandum of understanding with, with universities in Turkey. Uh, we had a visit from the uh, wife of the prime minister of Malaysia, who are also likewise looking at cooperation in terms of higher education and where can we engage in helping uh, some of their projects. So once again, these are opportunities that will uh, continue to expand, and we're looking forward to continue to open doors of 
possibility for our students and our institution. America has, it's, it's definitely open many possibilities and opportunities for people. So Islam and education go hand in hand. The first word in, uh, in the Quranic revelation was read. And therefore, there is no such thing, at least from our perspective, you cannot have an Islam without having it being founded upon education. And therefore, we celebrate the history in the past of uh, Islamic contribution, whether it's in initiating and building libraries. Uh, the notion of a public library actually originates from the Islamic culture and Islamic civilization because it was such a commitment to public access and universal access to education. So I think being in here, being in the United States, and the impact and the importance of education in the modern age, that we can see being in this country, being a Muslim, without actually taking to uplift education, but also be a corrective, uh, because increasing education has become corporatized, where your knowledge is added to what kind of cubicle you can get. And I think that has... For me, that's a very problematic construct. Not that we don't peep, we don't need individuals to function and create and work creatively in the economy, but that is not the purpose of education. That's what you do, is not that what you know. And I think for us, Zaytuna College, if it can help move in a corrective way the emphasis that we have in education, then I think our impact and contribution will be monumental. So how can anyone get in touch with Zaytuna or possibly apply? Well, we're uh, available online, so you could access our website, www.zaytuna.edu. And uh, we're also on Twitter, on Facebook. And you could also reach me myself, uh, hatimbazian.com on my own website, as well as Twitter. And hopefully, if, if you would like to be in a place that celebrates education and puts knowledge in a triumphant position, uh, Zaytuna might be the place for you and we welcome you to come and visit us uh, for no other reason than to know you. And that's Zaytuna College at Z-A-Y-T-U-N-A dot E-D-U. Thank you so much Dr. Bazian for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. Tune in again in two weeks at the same time.